Hey, David. Hey, Graham. How are you? Good. Got a joke. Oh, yeah? Well, go for it. Why are skeletons so calm? Why are skeletons so calm? Oh, they're dead. True. And also, nothing gets under their skin. <sighs> hmm. That would be nice. What do I you mean, think? not the being dead part. What are you, two, uh, 2.5? It's well, not good. I know it's not, it's it's not, not good. as good as the ones you've been doing. So I can't, I can't re- we can't give you those levels of yeah, score. I, I just like blindly reached into the joke vault. Into the vault, it. yeah. Yeah, I didn't like go searching around for a quality 3. one. 3.75. It's fine. I mean, that's great. Okay. Well, I got one. Mm-hmm. How do you make a lemon drop? I, how? You just let go of it. <sighs> that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. But it's better than mine. <laughs> So four. <laughs> Fair. All right. Well, I think, I think we were, I'll accept that. Yeah, we were doing well, and, and we just, I don't know what happened this we, that week. Just, we just brought it we down. We dropped the ball. We, we just dropped dro- the lemon. We did. We dropped the lemon. <laughs> dropped the lemon. Well, you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical, interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and groan-worthy jokes, featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of... Wait, what is it, Graham? Wordplay. The wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. And on today's... This week's... Today's or the week's? Which one should we go with? Today. Today. Today's episode, we're going to be having a conversation with Jonathan... Oxier. Jonathan Oxier, who is, of course, the author of such books as Peter Nimble and the follow-up book, Sophie Choir, also The Night Gardener, and also Sweep, and also the Will-O-The-Wisp books. He wrote a lot of books. He's a very fun man, and we had a great conversation with him that you're going to hear shortly. Quickly, Graham. Yes, yeah. What? Scale of 1 to 10, mm-hmm. your review, not of the jokes at the beginning of the show, Good. but of our conversation with Jonathan Oxier. Uh, my review on a scale of 1 to 10. Yes. Oh, we got to go 10. I agree. It's a 10. It's a 10 convo. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a ten, we're going to share our 10 convo with Jonathan Oxier yeah. shortly. Not our 10 conversations we had no. with him. No. That is confusing. Right. But it is long, so it's almost like two conversations. It is. Yeah. It, we had such a good time, we went a little longer than normal. We just kept going. We yeah. just kept going and going and and he was so funny and he seemed to be having a good time. So we didn't want to want to take that fun keep the party me. going. Exactly. Exactly. Of course before that we we're going to talk about Charlotte's Web. Which we chapter are. is we doing this week, Graham? Uh, uh, see, see, I, you, every time I, I know the answer to this, but as soon as you ask it, it like pops out of my brain. Your, your brain just freezes? I believe it is chapters 9 and 10. That is correct. We're going to do the ninth and the 10th chapters. And at the end of the show, we're going to do Riddle Time. Yes. I think it's your, your week this week to share a riddle. Oh, it's a good one. It's a good one? Yeah. And we'll have the answer to last week's riddle. Before that, though, we need to... To, to talk about some snacks. But I, to, before that, we need to talk about S.D. Smith and how you can glow and grow and go and uh, what else? I'm still confused about the glowing part because I feel like if there was anybody that was going to be able to teach you how to glow, it really would be S.D. Smith. What yeah. we Sam, Samuel Dennison Smitherton was what we was what we decided job. Last, yeah, from last week. Great. Yeah. So, what's the program? Do you remember the program? It that, is that, called the Green Writer. That's right. It's an accessible online course that encourages and equips aspiring authors of of what ages? Uh, all ages. All ages to go and to grow. 
and possibly to glow, depending on, you know, I don't know that he promises that, but it might be a side effect. Green riders are going. They have a green light, which means they aren't waiting for permission or until the fear is gone or the muse strikes. Green riders go. Green riders are also what, Graham? Growing. Like a green living thing. They're alive and they're not yet what they will become. They're becoming writers who create and share generous, excellent work. So if you want to grow and to grow as a writer, join beloved best-selling author S.D. Smith, Samuel Dennison Smitherton, and become a green writer. You can try a free sample at greenwriter.sdsmith.com or as Graham put it last week, greenwriter.sdsmith.com. And just to be clear, his name is actual, actually Samuel <laughs> Denmark Smith. It's not Smitherton. No, okay. Do you know what the D stands for? No. You know, I'm, it's just occurring to me that I don't either. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, he, I think we have pretty good guesses. Right? Dune. Like Denison. Denison. It could be right. Samuel Dune Smith. Okay, so uh, um, when you think of the color green, okay, <laughs> what's what like pops in? What shade pops into your head? I was just thinking, like about Hunter this. Green. You think so? That's for me. Just like kind, of, sur- it's kind of a darker, like your Goldberry. Green? Yeah, yeah. Green is kind of like a big color in my life, so that's probably why. Though. It's just interesting. I was thinking about like when I name a color, or when anybody does, mm-hmm. do you think of like a particular shade? Or is it just like straight down the middle, so, medium green, medium blue, medium, you know. I feel like blue is a great one for this. Yeah. Because you have, you know, the baby blue, that Carolina blue. You've got uh-huh. royal blue. You've got navy blue. You've got teal. You've got teal. You can get to add a little bit of green into what that. What do you think of when you think of blue? Blue when is I, your favorite color, right? Blue is my favorite color. But what shade? Oh, what shade's my favorite color? Or what shade pops into my head when you said the word blue? Yes. Uh, when, when, when... Blue is mentioned. I, I think I do think of like a darker. Like Just a like navy? a little bit darker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I don't think of... Maybe like a rich sky. So maybe that's not that dark. Like maybe a rich that's sky, middle. Like a sky that's got lots of money? Yeah, like raining money. Oh. But blue money. So it's like somehow. a money storm. Ooh. That sounds dangerous <laughs> money clouds. And, and delightful. Doesn't sound blue, though. It sounds like <laughs> gray. <laughs> Uh, but my favorite... I, I really like teals. Like, I like aqua. I like teal. I like... Um, any of the ones where you're like sl- adding a bit of green into it. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. What does this have to do with anything? I can't remember. <laughs> so let's move on. <laughs> Sam Smith, S.D. Smith. We were talking about his oh, name. Green writer. The, the green, oh, writer. green writer. Green writer. I see. Okay. Got it. Yes. So when I think of the green writer, I actually think of like a sage green. Okay. Like a, like a mossy green. That's okay. what, that's what, that's what I was thinking. Okay. About. Okay. I see. I think of, yeah, I think of like a hunter green, kind of like yeah, a Robin Hood green or something like that. Well, Thank you so much to the Green Writer. If you want to, if you want to become a better writer and, oh, and you want to learn from a great, great writer, then head over to greenwriter.stsmith.com to to learn more and get those free samples. And you know, the great thing about a free sample is you can try it, and if it's not teaching you how to glow, then you can decide how important glowing is to you. Yeah, or maybe you're like, ah, I, I'm, you know, maybe I'll do this six months from now. Yeah, exactly. But but it, probably not because you're going to love it. You're going to be like, I want to go now. Because that's then, what he says at the beginning. And then you're going to realize, I'm growing. Yeah. So Rowan and I have been working through it a little oh, bit. Oh, really? Yeah. Together? Mm-hmm. Are you It's you really fun. The yet? first... Uh, the, yeah. Remember we talked about his incandescence? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> it's really fun because the first thing you do after you watch S.D. Smith um, on his video is you, you identify kind of four problems that, that 
a lot of writers face. Okay. And you identify which one you might struggle with the most. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so what so does Rowan really struggle fun. with the most? Timing. Ti- like feeling like it's not the right time. Like I got when, other like, stuff to do. How do you know what like yeah. a, a good joke or a bad But then joke? you take that and um, you're starting to write a story at the same time. At least we are. And you take whatever problem that you circled and yeah. you have to work that into your character. Okay. Really fun. Well, my kids have been begging to do it and, and we're going to do that together here pretty soon. So that's going to be another uh, sample session downloaded by, by my family. <laughs> um, so yeah, greenwriter.sdsmith.com. Okay, let's talk snacks. I believe it is time for snack time. Snack time. Snack time. So what do you got there? Last Sunday was Halloween. Yeah. Do you say Halloween or Halloween? What? What's the second one? I've never heard that. Halloween? Halloween. Halloween. Like, like hollow. No, like Halloween. This is Halloween. I know. Yeah. You've Halloween. never heard anyone say Halloween? I don't know. I guess. Maybe my brain just corrects it to the right pronunciation <laughs> of Halloween. Well, <laughs> well, it was Halloween yes. on Sunday. So I have for us here. We actually pronounce it. My family, we say Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hullabaloo. I was a little late on that joke, but it was too good. I had to get it out. <laughs> so I have, I have a giant bowl of candy here. Um, wow. It's, um, it's my kid's candy. Yes. So it is but, giant, but you know, the kids don't, so they don't really need it. So your so. kids all collect candy individually mm-hmm. and then they get poured into a big bucket Correct. like that. Yes. Ah, and then do you guys dole it out or do they we keep it when we keep it out of the way? Well, they know where it is though, right? It's very high though. Yeah. But they, yeah, but, but just let us, let us pretend that we have some control, have some does semblance it seem of a little, does the level go down to a little it bit? It does seem like maybe a little bit. Like you wake up in the morning, you're like, this feels lighter. I assumed it's because my two year old is like scaling the refrigerator to get to the oh, cabinetry. Tell them it. where it is. Oh, right yeah, now. Sorry. True. They listen to the show. Um, oh, other kids might come true, over. They're just going to show up. That's right. Mm. Um, Okay, so I got a question for you then related to Halloween, to hullabaloo candy. Um, what's your favorite, what's, like, what's your go-to uh, Halloween candy? Uh, my go-to would be bit of honey. <laughs> <laughs> You're lying. We uh, have a friend who, we have a joke that he, because he wants to, that's his favorite Halloween candy. Yeah, it's not, uh, bit of honey is not a good candy. And I'm sorry if there's kids out there that really love bit of honey, bit oh honey. Um, go, you know, l- love what you love. It's true. Um, I don't like it. It's one of those candies that's very, very old and like people used to have to eat it, but now they you don't mean like because there's better candy. The candy itself in the wrapper has probably been there for 30 years. No, 130. 130. No, uh, my favorite. Candy. I love I love Snickers and Snickers, like the little mini Snicker ones. Yeah, I love York peppermint patty Rolos. Oh, I love Rolos. Underrated. You get those at Halloween. Yeah, not like a roll of them, but just like yeah, a little, little you know one one. Yeah. one in- what do you think of Reese's mm. pieces mm-hmm. in Reese's peanut butter cups? Oh, inside. Yeah. Okay, so great in theory. Not a fan, huh? I just would rather eat one or the other. Not me. I love it. The texture. You get the. You like it both at once. On the inside, yeah. You know, I also love when, and I feel like you're going to like this when the um, people give those mini Rice Krispie treats. Yep. Because I know you love Rice Krispie treats. I do. I don't like like really love marshmallows, but if you this is a fun segment. I like this segment. But if you if you melt them all over Rice Krispies and add sugar, so you don't like s'mores. 
I, I like them. They're fine. They're, they're just, like, it's not like I'm. You don't crave them or whatever. No. Yeah. But I like you, the whole s'more experience of being around the fire. The fire and yeah, mashing it between. It's better than like crackers. roasting a Rice Krispie treat or. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Hey, so would you like this? Uh, or, or can you not eat this because your foot's full of crystals? Yeah. So my snack time, I'm watching David eat a bunch of big, huge bowl Hold of on. candy. Let me just, you talk while I eat some candy Is that candy a Twizzler? Yeah, that it's good. one of those Twizzlers, yeah. Oh, man. Mm. Um, oh, I love Starburst, too. Anyway, I'm watching... Well, what's your favorite color of Starburst? Pink. Yeah, me too. Well, of the original four. Right, yeah. We're getting deep into candy, like I know. candy land here. I know. Well, it was just Halloween. So I, um, David, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I've been eating sugary foods in excess for 30 uh, odd years. And now my body is betraying me just a little bit in a very <laughs> acute way, let's say. <laughs> so your, your toe is burning. My is toe that right? it's falling off? has like a dragon that's biting it constantly. Okay. And this is because of my poor diet. And your toe crystals. My toe crystals. So this yeah. is because of my poor diet, which... I mean, we've talked about every single week how much bad food we're eating. So I'm getting, um, I'm getting my just desserts, you could say. This is a warning, okay? So kids, when you're when you're thirty, listen to your parents. When you're thirty-five, don't eat the same things you do when you're eight because your body's going to get mad. So I've got very um, acidy blood. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds all fake. It's all true. He's got um, crystals in his feet. Yeah. And then the, there's these things called purines uh, inside the acid and the body can't break them down and they go to your feet and they make crystals and then you can't walk. And that is a true story. And, and it's sad. It's called gout. Well, yeah. Because, and you know, kids have like, I think it, it's no, the it's little prince. The, it's called the disease of kings. The disease also just keep gout. telling yourself that i don't well, know why we're I talking about gout on this kid's show I, but here we well, are well you know i think it's a little prince or the little princess or the secret garden i think it's a little princess where okay. her grandfather who she's living with the I think octogenarian he has yeah he i think he's like 80 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he's got a big white handlebar mustache and stuff yeah he's also like a british lord yeah so so yeah. he eats a lot of um foods that are probably aren't great for him right and he's very old right so i i uh, i'm not very old but i still have this thing that well, that some of your uh listeners uh, some of your grandparents might right. have but right. probably your 75 year old grandfather <laughs> might might have this thing that graham has <laughs> well graham i knew that you would not perhaps be able to partake in the candy tonight so i brought you an alternative snack that i thought um they're Castle Vetrano Sicilian pitted green olives. Wow. Um, I'm going to pass, I think. Well, let me just try one here and see how, how they are. Now, I'm going to stick with my tea and my water. Mm. They're buttery. You know how some olives are a little bit like bitter, sour, yeah. kind of whatever? These aren't like that. These are delicious. Mm. So you've hey. got some kind of. Is that a vegetable? An olive? Yeah, what is that? Fruit? It's a fruit. It's got a. This is sad. See, I, all I eat is candy. <laughs> so he doesn't, and then know. I, and he doesn't know anything I heard, about olives. Well, yeah. Do you like olives? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a moment of honesty. I don't like olives. It is. Um, but I wanted to say yes because I realize I, I probably should because they're probably wonderful food. 
It is a plant. <laughs> oh, man. It, it's a species of small tree in the family of the oleocai. Yeah, I know the tree is. Found traditionally in the Mediterranean basin. It's and fruit. It's fruit. It's, it's, you know, you'd think that it would say, yeah, yeah it's got to be a fruit. It's got to be a fruit. It's I think you're fruit. right. We're going to go with fruit. Yeah. <clears throat> An educational podcast, this. Okay, so what you've learned so far, and parents rejoice, don't eat just candy for snacks, and learn more about fruits and vegetables and what constitutes what. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, with that, we should probably take a break so I can eat some candy, and you can watch, and then we'll be back in a second, and we're going to discuss chapters 9 and 10 of Charlotte's Web. Be right back. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, we are back. Graham, are you yeah. okay? Are you gonna? I'm fine. I'll survive. You'll be, you'll push through. I'll survive as long as you're seated. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, speaking of seated things, we are here to discuss these chapters of Charlotte's Web. And one thing we know is that Wilbur is, for the most part, plopped down in his pen. But when there's food involved, he's ready to run. Yeah. Charlotte, meanwhile, is busily weaving. And one thing that I like about this section is we learn so much science. Last, la- in the last few minutes of this podcast, we discovered that Graham and I were confused about the nature of olives. The science behind them. <laughs> but in this section of... Taxonomy. Yeah. In this section, we, we learned about... Spider, spider legs? science, spider legs. Yeah, the the legs. Oh, and the and the web. Yeah, and yeah. The web. So yeah. yeah, lots. It's very. <laughs> you're right. Educational chapter. Exactly. Now, so in this part, we're in chapters nine and ten. We're getting deep into the book. We're about a. Th- what do you say? A third, a little a over third, a third, a little over a third of the way through. So at this point, we have like the problem of the book pretty well established. Yeah. And the Wilbur's rest of gonna it, get it. Right. And he is very and worried. It, it is the axe. Right. And yeah. he's gonna be Christmas dinner. And he is very worried about the prospect of this. And so Charlotte has encouraged him by saying that she's gonna save his life. And so in this yeah. section, she's doing what? Uh what is she doing? She's hanging out with Wilbur a little bit and she's reassuring him that she has a plan. And he, and he's saying Hey, um, can you hurry it up? Yeah, like, I, I'd be, a, like, I'd be happy to help. If, how's the plan going? I'd, like, yeah. don't forget to, to let me know if I can do anything because it seems like nothing's really right. happening. Yeah, nothing and then she's like, don't worry about it. And then she, um, she hangs upside down. Look, this is what I do when I can't think, too. You hang upside down? I hang down? upside down and let all the blood rush to my head and uh, try to, you know, try to just be at peace and think. Seems like a good plan. At is least it, it is for a spider. Possible that for that me, might I just... be why you have gout. <laughs> uh, hmm. No. Um. I just usually pass out. Oh. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't hang upside down. That sounds yeah. terrible. But you know, kids do hang upside down, so all the kids are probably like, yeah. But not yeah. when you need to think. Seems, makes sense. Not when you're like, I got to come up with an idea. <laughs> That's true. That's going to save my friend's life from certain yeah. doom. <laughs> Although, never tried hanging upside down to make very difficult, you know, plans and decisions. So don't knock it till you try it, I guess. Exactly. 
<clears throat> so we have our problem well established here, and that the rest of the book seems to be going to be spinning out from that, no pun intended. Mm. But we also have these these little episodes that pop up. So, for example, in the 10th chapter, Fern and her brother, remind me of his name? Uh, Avery. Fern and Avery are swinging on this, the very famous swing, and, uh, you know, kind of in the doorway to the barn. Yeah. And then... Famous around their neighborhood. And all the parents are worried. Yeah. Yeah, that the kids are going to fall from it. Well, from judging from the drawing, it's pretty high. Yeah, it, does, it looks like a fun swing. It looks like a really fun swing. Did you ever have a rope swing like that? I know you guys have a tire swing in your front yard that's really tall. Yeah, not quite like uh, this one. No. Yeah, we had a we had a, a friends acquaintances somebody when I was really little that had a barn and they had a swing just like this. Did, Except did below it, there was like hay and oh, stuff. So not not the wooden beam floor. Beams. Not just wooden floor. No. Yeah. So we have this episode here, and Templeton Templeton's egg comes into play. Oh, yeah, in chapter 10. Yeah, because Avery wants to play a trick on... Basically, he wants to get Charlotte. Yeah. I mean, do you blame him? You mean, do you want to get the spider? He wants to get the spider away? Yeah, he wants no, I suppose to get rid he, of the spider? I mean, he doesn't know how... Important. And he doesn't seem to hear them talk the way Fern does. No. So what does that tell us about Fern? That she's either very attentive, or very special in another way, or she has a really good imagination... So you don't think you think it's possible the animals aren't actually talking? No, I think they're actually talking. Okay. But I mean, why not? It, it could be a possibility. It's, it's fun to explore those things. True. So okay. So then, so so he says he's gonna get the egg, and then Templeton's egg, which he's been saving for quite a while, bursts and the smell. Oh, his terrible. rotten his egg. egg. Yeah. yeah, he was so happy to get. What was he gonna do with it? Wait till it rotted even more? I, and well, eat it, roll he around says in it. Here, uh, you know, rats are smart because they just hold on to things. Oh, yeah. So, and it did yep. turn out to be to burn it to be handy. So, so he's I, a bit of a hoarder. <clears throat> I was thinking about how in the ninth chapter, the eighth and ninth chapters, we've kind of been introduced to the main problem of the book, and then it seems like the solution is going to be Charlotte. But then immediately after that, all of a sudden Charlotte is getting threatened. Mm. So oh, that's good. Upping the stakes a little bit, yeah. so to speak. Hey, let's uh, let's jump back into chapter nine because there's a really funny little episode in there where so sh- so we've talked about how Wilbur is precocious yeah. and very logical. Yeah, he seems like a very smart young pig. He does, and so it's kind of funny when he's he still capable. when he still acts like a very very young child basically <laughs> where he's like i'm gonna i can do that too i can make a web i can swing around and so he ties a string or he has the rat help him tie the string to his tail and then he jumps off of the pile and tries to swing it didn't it doesn't go particularly well and they also forget okay. to tie the other end to anything <laughs> so <laughs> and charlotte's just watching like a parent yeah, exactly. Try stuff. Learn for yeah. She's not stepping in, being like, "This isn't good." You know, don't do this. It's, but then at the end, she does say, "You are a pig." Yes, <laughs> she is very wise. I think that one of the things I like about I like about this is that the animals have their own personalities and their own roles in the story, but they also are, you know, what they are. He's a pig. He still is obsessed with. Food, right? It has that thing in chapter 10 where, well, mm. one of the chapters where it lists all the things he's eating because they bring the slop out and it's, you know, there's a rind of something and leftover jelly rolls and, you know, it's basically his menu. 
It was a delicious meal. Skim milk, wheat middlings, leftover pancakes, half a donut, the rind of summer squash, two pieces of stale toast, a third of a ginger snap. I love how specific that is. Yeah, I know. A fish tail, one orange peel, several noodles from noodle soup, the scum <laughs> of a cup of cocoa, an ancient <laughs> jelly roll, a strip of paper from the lining of the garbage pail, and a spoonful of raspberry jello. I love... Sounds like he's so, gonna gout. Um, there's a quote. I don't know who said it or how old it is, but um, or even if it's wholly true or partially true. <laughs> but it's specificity is the soul of narrative, hmm. and this is something that Excalibur B. White does extremely <laughs> well. He he again. He's putting us like he could have just said they threw the slops in the thing. True, but he's so specific. It like puts you right there. You know what? A th- you're immediately picturing the scum yeah. of the, the jelly roll and the and paper like from the, the trash can. Third of a ginger snap that immediately makes you have to be like, it's not just a ginger snap. Okay, in my mind, I'm seeing is it a half? Nope, it's a little bit this way. And it's like everything. The way he writes is so wonderful because uh, it really helps put you into the story. And it makes you, it helps you get a sense for him enjoying it because you. Because he's paying attention to all these things. Right. This is like kind of through his eyes. Too, exactly. Yeah. So, and then he said he's going to save, he was going to save half a noodle for Templeton, but then he realized Templeton helped him out. So he's only going to give him the give him a full noodle. Him the full noodle. Yeah. <laughs> some pig. Yeah. Some pig. And uh, at the end of the section, of course, we, we get a little bit of, uh, we, we begin to see the seeds of Charlotte's. Mm. We get the sense anyway that she has a plan. Yeah, she's going to be an actor. Quite know what she's doing. I think we're going to learn more next but week. She's doing something with her web that's different than what she's normally, the way she's normally weaving it. Yeah, it's true, and and I, I feel like that's going to un, unravel, unveil itself, mm-hmm. particularly in the next few chapters. But as the rest of the book goes, because this this plan is going to be, you know, it's going to be we're going to find out what happens to our main character. Either she's going to be successful or he might be Christmas dinner. Yeah. So I guess we'll find out the rest of the way. Hey, you know what I was thinking? We're about halfway through this season. Mm -hmm. And it might be a good time to bring back our mail time. Mailbag? Mailbag. That's a great idea. Do we have a good one to feature this week? Let me go check. I'll, I'll be right back. Okay. So we've been getting a lot of emails in the season. Um, tons, tons, and they're all wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to respond to as many as I can because they're, they're just so wonderful and there's so many of them. So here is one that I just picked out. It is from Viv, Leah, Malachi, Audrey, Josiah, and Gretel. Family, family, siblings, I assume so. <laughs> neighbors, just a collection, just a collection of children. <laughs> uh, they say, hi, David and Graham. We love listening to your podcast. Here is a joke Thanks. that we just made up for you. They made it. We get bonus joke time. There you go. What's a dermatologist's favorite game? And first, do you know what a dermatologist is? Somebody like a, do- a skin doctor? Skin doctor. Yeah. So what's a dermatologist's favorite game? Mm, they don't play games. They don't want to put any skin in the game. Oh. That's good. <laughs> but it's not as good as their answer. <laughs> His favorite game is... Whack a mole. <laughs> <laughs> 
They also say, Whack-a-mole. They say, uh, here is a sweet story about Charlotte's Web. We live on a farm and we read it every spring slash summer. Okay. One year we sat down to read it and realized that the pigs got out of the barn. We put the book down and ran to the barn to get them back into their stalls. Pigs. When we returned to the book, we opened up to the bookmark and guess what chapter we were on? Just guess. The the one where the pig gets out? You're right. <laughs> Pigs out. Thanks again. We can't wait for the next episode. Viv, Leah, Malachi, Audrey, Josiah, and Gretel. Wow. Thank you guys for That's that That's a email. great email. Great joke. And a story that goes with it. That's a good email. Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation on Charlotte's Web for this week. We'll talk about the next few chapters next week. But that means it is time for... Wait, what's it time for? It's time to talk with our author. Oh, yeah. That's right. It's the author interview time. So it's uh, Jonathan Oxier time. So should I tell people about Jonathan Oxier or you want to? Or Yeah, go for it. Okay, it's my turn. Okay. So did you know that he is the New York Times best-selling author of Strange Stories for Strange Children? Mm. His first novel, Peter Nimble and His Fantastic Eyes, was an ABA, New Voices Pick, and a Book Page Magazine Best Book of 2011. So it's about 10 years ago now. His best-selling Night Gardener is a Junior Library Guild selection, an ABA Indie Next Pick, an Amazon Editor's Pick of the Month, and winner of the TD Book Prize and ILA Book Award. Man, that is a lot of so awards. so many awards. Does that, like, maybe we should get an award for having somebody with so many awards on. That's true. Is there an award for, like, having the best guests? I'll make it, because we certainly have the best guests. So you're gonna you're saying you're gonna make a medal yes. that we can that I can like hang in the studio. No, we have to wear these. We have to wear them. Okay, mm-hmm. like a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, well, okay. we'll get a full uniform soon. Sweet. All right. Great. Uh, his latest novel, Sweep, received six starred reviews, as well as the Governor General's Award, the Charlotte Huck Award, and the Sydney Taylor Award. Th- this is there's just so many awards. He and he's winning them all. Did, did he leave any awards for anybody else? That's what I want to know. Mm. He lives in. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with his family and their adorable pet umbrella. Okay. Hold on. Do you think they have a pet umbrella, as in they have an umbrella that's a pet, or is their pet named umbrella? Do you think he left it intentionally ambiguous? Good word. It it seems like he may have been trying to do that. Is umbrella capitalized? No. Hmm. That doesn't help. No. I'm going to take him at face value. I think he has a pet umbrella that he takes on walks and, and bathes and, and tucks in at night. So we're going to do a full conversation with him here in a minute. But on his website, he has some FAQs with some fun questions from kids. And one of them is, how tall are you? Which is not a question we asked him. And it says here that he is tall enough to bump my head on lots of things. He even devoted an entire two pages in Peter Nimble to ranting about how much I hate bumping my head. Mm. So that... Just gives you a little preview yeah. into Jonathan Oxier. So was he an NBA player in the '90s? This name is sounds familiar to me. You know, Besides outside of the, writing, when we talk right. to him. Yeah, you're wondering if Jonathan Oxier Did he play for like the Pistons. Played in the for the, in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he's also very good at the yo-yo. So this is just a very interesting guy, and I think you'll see that show up here in this conversation. So, Graham, are you ready to toss it over to? our conversation with Jonathan Oxier. Let's go. Well, we are here with Jonathan Oxier, the great Jonathan Oxier. We've been wanting to have Jonathan Oxier. Should we talk about him in the third person, the whole time? Yeah, I think that's just see good. Yeah. how he makes that work. Might be can, can I do that? Can he do that too? 
<laughs> yeah, you're gonna talk about yourself in third. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're we're super excited to have you on. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with us about your books and your work and uh, answering some questions for all the the kids who listen. I'm really excited to be here. I can't wait to hear these questions. So we have one very important question that we always start with. And then after that, we're going to ask you to kind of tell us a little bit about your books for the kids who have never read them. Um, Just kind of like the quick summary about about them. But first, we have to have you answer the most important question we ask on this show. Cheetos or Doritos? You know, I think the most important thing we all need to realize that humans evolve and change. And sometimes they make mistakes. (laughs) And I spent a lot of my life thinking that Cheetos were the superior thing. At some point during quarantine, I had this craving for just plain original flavor Doritos mm. that would not quit. Mm. And I have had, oh, probably a hundred bags of Doritos <laughs> in the last year, <laughs> like full size bags. Yeah. It's, it has become a staple. It's not good for me, uh, but I just can't stop. So I'm deeply in the thrall of Doritos at present. Maybe that's the wrong answer to you, gentlemen, but someday you will learn that that is the correct. So, so you, so you saw the light and you sprinted toward it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. There was no waffling. No, none. Speaking <laughs> of which, what is your opinion on waffles? Oh, that's actually a great question. Um, you will find I have an opinion on pretty much anything you mentioned. Not an informed <laughs> one, but an opinion. Uh, and I am, I I don't know anyone else um, who dislikes. Uh, nice, like quality Belgian waffles as much as I do. I just, just I, I loathe them. I, I love Eggo waffles, but like a fancy waffle, you go to like a hotel or some big like brunch situation and they're making them and there's like a person and whatever. I, I think those things are disgusting. Um, you know, so this, this is very strange for me because on the one hand, I was like, this is a travesty. And then he talked about how Eggo waffles were good. And now I just want Eggo waffles. I'll yeah. tell you. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go, Graham. No, it's very. Uh, you're leaving us quite like what frazzled here. Yeah, we, yeah. So you're exactly. saying like a very hot, fluffy, quality waffle. That is something you never want. Would not. Would not take it. But Don't if like it's it at like all. as if it's like super thin, kind of cardboardy, uh, it's either cold as it comes out of the toaster or a bit burned. <laughs> that's your jam. That is. I'll tell you the way. The way mm-hmm. I really make it is I I do a. I do a, an Eggo waffle in the toaster and then I, I do a fried egg and then I put a slice of American cheese between the egg and the waffle oh. and it all like fuses together into this just amazing uh, little confection that no one else in my family will eat, but I could eat all day long yeah. okay. with so my Doritos. On this show, we have this thing where we constantly do free advertising for companies that make junk food. <laughs> uh, we basically talk about all the snacks we eat. We've already talked about Eggo waffles. Are you a big McGriddle guy then? Or like, what is the one that's made with like French toast or waffles or something from, from McDonald's? Like my kids love these. And to me, they seem like they would be gross, but it seems like it'd be up your alley. You know what? I, 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 for, first of all, I don't eat meat. So like, I have to just get okay. the egg and cheese option, which is, which diminishes it. But, uh, we, a couple of years ago, we, we renovated our kitchen, which was supposed to take like three weeks and it took three months and so we ate a ton of McDonald's breakfasts in those times because we didn't have a functional kitchen. Yeah. And I can't, I cannot be near McDonald's breakfast anymore. <laughs> if in the beginning, it was a treat and I was very yeah. excited. Yeah. Uh, and, and now I, I certainly couldn't hang with the McGriddles. Careful. It's going to happen with Doritos. <laughs> it probably should happen with Doritos. <laughs> well, okay. 
so as a follow-up, we always like to ask, are you, you know, just some general food, more food questions that the kids have asked, you know, that the kids ask lots of food questions. Are you, a, are you a savory or a sweet guy? Not like personality wise, but just <laughs> taste. Uh, I'm probably savory in both senses, okay. <laughs> both personality <laughs> and taste. Are you a coffee or a tea guy? Uh, I will, I, I can hang with both. Uh, I, I enjoy coffee. Um, I enjoy tea. Uh, I'm not picky. I don't, I don't like herbal tea, but I like just plain black tea. Okay. And finally cake or cookies. I hate cake. I think cake's disgusting. I like ice cream cake, but that's cause I like ice cream, but I, I if people offer me cake. I don't, I don't accept it. So cookies all the way. Do you, do you, if they are like holding it out to you, do you smack their hand and make it flip up in the air and land on the ground? <laughs> And that's exactly what happened. Okay. I, I assume you've seen me at a wedding before. It's really, it's disruptive. Yeah. Well, you know, and then they're all just like, that's oh, just Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan. especially when it's the bride, you know. <laughs> it's really, really awkward. Well, we've got lots of questions here from the kids, but first, Graham's going to queue up a question for that. And while he does that, because it takes him like a long time to think about what he wants, which one he wants to choose. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see if you can give us the synopsis. Like, what are your books about you know the one sentence summary of what you're trying to accomplish with your books well that's a great question and i you'd think after this many years of doing this i'd be prepared so my name is jonathan oxier i write strange stories for strange kids (laughs) most of my books are middle grade fantasy stories uh they're a little bit dark i think hopefully they kind of still have some hope um honestly what it really comes down to is when i was growing up i felt like there were not a lot of books being written or I was not being shown a lot of books by teachers, librarians that really excited me very much, just the stuff I was interested in and who I was. And so every single time I sit down to write a book, I'm trying to write what would have been my favorite book when I was that age. Mm. And so some of the things that I was really into, so, you know, again, kind of big magical adventures, a little bit dark, a little bit creepy, but I get frightened easily. So never too, too scary. (laughs) Um, I've written uh, some books in a series, the Peter Nimble series. It's a story of a, a small blind orphan who's the greatest thief who ever lived. My book, The Night Gardener, is like a creepy haunted house story, perfect for this time of year. Um, and then my most recent novel is called Sweep, which is about a chimney sweep girl who finds a, a monster living inside a chimney. I love monsters. All my books have tons and tons of monsters in them uh, because I think monsters are cool. Uh, but they're they're kind of a little bit of a mix between a little bit silly, a little bit playful, but also hopefully talking about some of the real issues that I was going through when I was a kid and, and still kind of going through as an adult now. Yeah. Well, we're big fans. Our kids are big fans. So what we have learned is that the kids who read your books really care about your books. That's one thing <laughs> I've discovered in the bookstore and they've sent in some great questions. So that's my segue to letting Graham uh, share one of those questions. Yeah, let's, let's kind of jump onto a question about Sweep here. So Liam, who's 15 years old, wants to know who or what inspired Sweep and the Monster Charlie. That's a great question. So uh, thank you for sending that in. Um, so yeah, Sweep is about this, uh, about this girl who's a, who's a chimney climber, which was the old-fashioned word they used for chimney sweeps. Uh, back in the day, adults couldn't fit inside these little chimneys, and so they were exclusively cleaned by children, and it was just an awful and brutal and dangerous job, arguably the most dangerous job in human history, and we were letting little tiny kids do it. Um, mm. And in this story, this girl, Nan, who has this miserable life cleaning these chimneys, finds a creature um, that's basically made of coal and soot that was born inside one of these chimneys, and he becomes her friend and eventually becomes 
her kind of guardian and protector. Um, and Charlie, or at least Nan's theory throughout the book is that Charlie is, is a creature that comes from Jewish folklore called a golem. Mm-hmm. Um, and the golems are like, almost like the original Frankenstein's monster. Um, in, in most of the folklore, it's, it's, it's a creature made out of like mud or clay in the shape of a human. And uh, a rabbi like speaks a word and it, and it comes to life. Um, but golems aren't mindless monsters. They're always kind of characterized or most often characterized as, as protectors. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that this kid, Nan, who is very tough and resourceful on her own, yeah. basically gets this creature who at first is very small and helpless. And she has to basically raise it like a child, but eventually he becomes this protector for her in her life for the things that she can't really um, deal with. And the inspirations, you know, I'm a huge reader. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure your, your listeners are big readers, but I'm sure, you're, yeah. you know, you're hearing from other authors. We're all, you know, pretty nerdy about this stuff. And, and so, you know, some of it's drawing from life experience, but I'm often just drawing from stories that I've read. So, you know, yeah. many years ago, I discovered the story of golems. Um, I was actually visiting in Prague, which is the country or the, the city where the golem of Prague is sort of like a local mascot. Um, and I became just obsessed yeah. with this folklore and the story. And I spent the next goodness, I mean, 15 years, maybe like thinking about the concept of a golem and what this creature meant and what it could represent. And I was just endlessly sort of obsessively drawing iterations of him. And then simultaneously, I was also reading books and learning about the history of chimney sweeps, which, you know, as I alluded, it's not like what we see in Mary Poppins. Like it's not this cheerful, happy job. It was this miserable, Mm -hmm. brutal job. Um, And these kids would regularly get horribly injured. Kids would die. No one seemed to care. Um, it was just kind of the way of the world um, until mm. something finally broke and there was kind of an uprising um, and, and people decided that maybe children shouldn't be, you know, forced to, to work <laughs> and yeah. risk their lives yeah. when they're, you know, six, seven years old. Um, and so, and, but that came from books too. There's a, arguably the first modern children's book is a book called The Water Babies by uh, a writer named uh, Charles Kingsley. Um, it came, it's a book that came out just a little bit before Alice in Wonderland and it's all about these chimney sweeper kids or a little boy who's one of these climbers. Um, and so for me, all of my stories kind of start with other stories. I, I you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a magpie. I kind of take little bits and pieces of everything and kind of weave it together, hopefully into something new. So there's a question here from Cashel who's 12. And the question is, how did you come up with such an interesting blend of, of the modern and the fantasy? And I want to just kind of add on to that as well. Like, balancing like realism and fantasy because you you have these things that are from history but the, this is very fantastical world so so how does that work out in your imagination that blend of the modern and the realistic and the fantastical oh that's a that's a good question um so i'm gonna think through my answer as i speak um i first of all it's cool to think that my books kind of feel modern i'm sometimes a little insecure that my books feel kind of like old and dusty and in part, that's, that's my goal. Like I really am trying to write a book that a kid could find a hundred years from now and they would still be able to sort of enter into the story fully. Um, I don't like books that feel like they were written for, you know, one specific moment and they stop making sense outside of that moment. Um, and, and so I'm trying to give these stories a timeless quality. I love it if they, if they feel contemporary. Um, I will say one of the things I love old books. My wife, uh, has a PhD in Victorian children's literature. We talk about this stuff all the time. And so she's the smart one, what you're saying. She's the smart <laughs> She is. Um, <laughs> she would agree. I would agree. Everyone who's <laughs> met us would agree. Um, 
but I love these old, these old sort of early children's books and, and I read them obsessively, but I'm also aware that they can get, they can be a little bit hard to read to a contemporary audience. And one of the things that I am always trying to do is basically take the themes and ideas and, and feeling of these timeless stories and give them an ex- incredibly, basically I'm trying to like structure and shape my stories uh, like you would a Marvel movie um, in terms of like just the, the, the pacing and the beginning and the middle of the end and the way the character grows and changes. Those are things that I, I take a very like modern approach and eye toward that. Um, because I think some of those old books can kind of lose the thread a little bit and, and push you away or for me at least. Um, so my goal is to basically make really timeless themes and ideas and imagery feel new, not so much because I'm including a whole bunch of references to like TikTok or whatever inside, but because I'm trying to speak to the, the, the temperament and pace pacing and structure and shape that, you know, I, I as a, a modern person in the 21st century want from my stories. Okay, so follow-up question. When you're thinking about the fantastical elements, do you think about, okay, I want to have like these kinds of things in this, this particular book? Like, Do you kind of give yourself like goals or quotas of things to make it more fantastical, or do you just kind of let your imagination go as you're writing and see what happens? Uh, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I have, you know, if you, if you look at my books, there's probably kind of two different worlds they they inhabit. So two of my books are these kind of historical fantasies. The Night Gardener and Sweep are both set in England in the Victorian era. And they're much more historically researched, just especially Sweep. It was a nightmare because it was so much research <laughs> yeah. to really build that world. Um, and, but Peter Nimble and Sophie Choir, which are kind of the, the bigger, more action-packed fantasy books, for those, it really was a checklist of like, what what is my, what would be my favorite thing in the world to have happen next? Like, and it, it's, yeah. it was really just throw everything into the book that I could possibly think of that would bring me joy. Whereas those other books, I was much more disciplined and spent a lot of time. It, a lot of it was a, the, the hard choice of taking stuff out, right? I have a bunch of cool ideas, but I'm like, you know what? It's going to kind of confuse what's going on in those stories. So it depends on the book, right? Sometimes you really want to let go and go crazy. And sometimes you want to be a little more disciplined and, and yeah. keep it small and focused well we're gonna have questions with about advice for for our kids who listen who are also writers but we'll do that so clara who's 11 wants to know if sir toad's personality is based on a real person and she has a second question which character from your own books would you most like to meet if you could meet them oh man that's a great question clara um so first of all, Sir Toad, if um, Sir Toad is kind of a, a combination of a bunch of characters, um, some of them, and often my, often I'm drawing from something really old fashioned and highbrow, and then also something not as as impressive. And so, in the case of Sir Toad, he's he's almost a fusion of two different characters I love. One is the character Don Quixote from what is a very very old novel called Don Quixote about an old man who sees himself as this brave knight. Um, and he imagines that, you know, the classic thing we see from him is he's imagining that these windmills he sees on the horizon are actually giants with their arms swinging. So he like rides up and fights these, uh, quote unquote giants, but everyone who's watching him just sees a sort of a, a crazy old man. Um, I always loved that character, um, that he could kind of, he saw an adventure and saw this amazing thing in every, around every corner. Um, but also like, you know, there's more contemporary stuff. Like, I mean, it's, old news to your listeners because it happened before them. But when I was growing up, the first movie I ever saw in theaters was a movie called Labyrinth, um, yeah. which is a Jim Henson 
like fantasy musical um, that I have learned since. Uh, basically, if you didn't see it when you were a little kid, it's an awful movie. If you, <laughs> if you see it for the first time as an adult, it's a really bizarre, weird movie. But it made a huge impact in my life. I've probably seen it a hundred times, um, and that's not an exaggeration. Um, I've watched it obsessively growing up. I still watch it probably a couple times a year, um, even even now. And there's one character named Sir Didymus who's, uh, he's a little dog riding on top of a bigger dog who's like a brave and noble knight. Um, and somehow his character, his voice, like when I, you know, if I were to read parts of Peter Nimble aloud and read the character of Sir Toad, I'd basically be exactly copying uh, the voice actor uh, from that movie Labyrinth when he did the character of Sir Didymus. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea of like thinking about you being in, inspired by like Jim Henson and the Muppets while you're writing your work. Yeah. Well, again, I'm trying to fuse those two things. What was the other question that Claire had? Who oh, would you want to meet? Oh, yeah. Which of my characters <clears throat> would I want to meet? Um, you know, honestly, this sounds silly, but I feel like I've met them all. Um, mm. I don't, I, I don't feel like I could write these books without actually really sitting down and being in the same space. If I could actually like, be around one of the characters it's you know i have enormous love for all of them but but probably more than any is that character charlie who is the this this monster from the book sweep um sort of the just the depth of love Mm. that i have for charlie and and unlike a lot of my characters most of my characters are kind of versions of myself but charlie doesn't actually contain a lot of who i am and for that reason alone i i I feel i can Mm. see charlie as like almost a separate person from myself and and if i could like get a hug from Charlie. <laughs> that would be something pretty magical. Nice. All right. Next question is from Aiden. Uh, he wants to know if you've ever found yourself surprised by anything that's happened in your stories. Can authors be surprised by their own stories? Well, I certainly hope so. Um, I, I'm surprised quite a bit by stories for me when i start a book it's i'm i'm in charge i'm the puppeteer i start the story i have my ideas the characters do what i say and then partway through the process suddenly the characters kind of gain a little bit of a life of their own and they sort of rip the story away from me and that's its phase it's really it's very hard because i have to let go of the book but it's also that's where there are tons of surprises about what the book is actually about i would say the biggest surprise is there's something in the book, I wrote Sophie Choir and the Last Story Guard, which is the the companion sequel to Peter Nimble. There's something that happens at the end of that book that really, really caught me off guard. I didn't know I was writing the book toward that. Um, I don't want to spoil anything that happens in that book, but it's something that happens uh, very close to the end of the book that I didn't see coming at all, um, and I was I was really surprised by. But I I felt like once it sort of showed its face, I realized this is what, this is what needs to happen in the story. Do you, ever, do you ever feel like the process for writing is just mysterious? <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's, it's not as fun as I want it to be sometimes. I will say yeah. that. I know some of your, peop- your, your, your listeners are writers themselves, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But for me, some days it, it feels more like work than play, and then other days it feels like you know play. And those are the days I, those are the good days. Those are the days yeah. I like. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got a, we got to take a quick pause here from our normal questions from the kids to play um, a little uh, Jonathan Oxier themed game. So oh, wow. we've got, we got four questions for you um, of uh, varying degrees of um, cleverness <laughs> and uh, you, we just need to get your, get your feedback on them. So here's the first question. 
we obviously know that you're most of these are Peter Nimmo related because that seems to be the book that most of the kids who have listened have read. Um, cool. <clears throat> so this first one is which of the following Peters is the most Peterish in your opinion? Hmm. Peter Rabbit, Peter Pan, Peter Pevensey from the Chronicles of Narnia, or Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater? This is I. This is a, such an easy, easy <laughs> question. Uh, there is no, there is no more Peter in the world than Peter Pan. Uh, <laughs> that's a book I am, I am low-key obsessed with. Uh, oh, cool. I have read it so, so many times. It's a hard book, and there's some real problems. I get it was written a different era, and I, and I think yeah, yeah. There's some ugly bits about it, um, in, in the ways it depicts certain types of people. But the the figure of Peter Pan, I love. I'm fascinated by. I do think people make a mistake by looking at the Disney movie or those depictions where Peter is seen as the hero. He is not the hero of the original book. Peter is the villain and he is a monster. And the story is a tragedy about a girl named Wendy. Um, And when you read the book that way, (laughs) Peter as a figure makes way more sense and is also deeply disturbing. So I'm about to take it then that to the the essence of Peterness is villainy. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought of it that far. I just basically think he's better than those other Peter characters. Oh, fair, I could, fair, okay. I, I mean, Peter is easily the, the most boring Pevensey. Um, <laughs> for example, it's true. It's true. Okay, here's a question for you. This one actually is a factual question, so we're going to need to see if you can get 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 a guess, get get the real oh, wow. the real answer. Okay. Which of the following is considered by scientists to be the most nimble creature on Earth? <laughs> okay, ready? Uh-huh. The cat burglar. Jack of the Jack B. Nimble. <laughs> fame. The cheetah. Or the Saharan ant. All right. So I'm metagaming this a little bit. Um, and I'm going to say that it's the Saharan ant because no person would put that on a list if it's not the actual correct answer. Is that yeah, true? It's true. Ah. That's I, true. I want to know who's spending the research dollars. Yeah, discovering this, studying <laughs> the differences in speed and nimbleness between the cheetah and the Saharan ant. I mean, it does sound fun. I get it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. okay. <clears throat> I mean, one never knows when you're going to need this information. Um, I thought maybe the Jack B. Nimble, though, would... <laughs> I don't know how to quantify that. Yeah, right. right. Okay. Okay. These last two questions have to do with if you could, you'd have to, you have to choose one of these for a future book. The, the, hypothetically speaking, you are yeah. writing in a future book, and we know that in Peter Nimble, although he is blind, he is a great thief because his other senses are heightened. Mm-hmm. So, which of the following senses, if you could only choose one? would you choose for a future character? Spidey sense, tremor sense, weather sense, you know, like you're old and your knees hurt and you're like, it's going to snow or <laughs> echolocation. Oh, uh, so what's tremor sense? What is that? I think it's when you can like, you can like sense uh, things in the earth, like around you. Like, like vibrations. Like, yeah. Like you can tell people are coming. I think it's also maybe known as, Body heat. I think this is a Dungeons and Dragons thing that I don't know. I don't know. I okay. just kind of. It's that idea. That's the idea. What we call it is okay. It's it's a, it's about vibrations and things. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I would do that one actually because I feel like Peter Nimble almost covers echolocation. I mean, he doesn't. He's not using yeah, that process, true. but like, true. There's something. I feel like I've explored that territory a little bit. 
And like a character who like fully, like the idea of a character who's like so in tune with the environment and the earth and could like feel someone walking, you know, a hundred miles away or something like that. Like the, the, the partial information they would be getting and how they would respond to that would be really, really fascinating to me. Very hard to write, but really interesting. I mean, Spidey Sense was obviously the right answer. No, you can't. There's, <laughs> there's too many like trademark issues and. Well, but, but, <laughs> but he, I mean, Spidey Sense became one of the created one of the greatest characters ever. So, but I guess you can't steal it then, can you? I I I steal liberally. Again, I'm always drawing from highbrow and lowbrow. So there's a lot of Daredevil inside Peter Nimble, for example. Uh, and Spider Man yeah. is arguably my favorite superhero. Uh, but I feel like I can't do it better than it's already been done. That's fair, actually. I did say that, but Tremor Sense would be a pretty cool thing to have in a story. So, although I do like the idea of an old man who can tell the weather. Okay. <laughs> final, um, final question. Which of these is your favorite half human creature? We obviously know that Sir Toad was half multiple things. So not really <laughs> half, but he, and he had multiple species spelled upon him okay which of these <laughs> things is your favorite and would you most want to use in a future story a centaur 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 a fawn a mermaid or a sphinx um so i'm going to do two things i'm going to answer this question then i'm going to tell an anecdote that relates to it but first of all i'm i'm really diehard about never almost never using traditional mythological creatures in my stories i'm always trying to take them in a little bit of a side way and I do actually have a story written, not about the Sphinx, but about this other creature called the Sphinx with no H mm. that everyone assumes is the Sphinx. And so and I, <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to find a place for this story because it's this weird, silly story where like everyone comes and assumes that they are mysterious and full of riddles, but they're just this ordinary little creature <laughs> who gains all of this like uh, prestige and power over a bunch of people because they think it's the Sphinx. Um, so I definitely would gravitate toward that. I will say in talking about Sir Toad, here's a fun fact that I, I'm not sure I've ever shared, uh, with kid readers before, but the idea is Sir Toad was a normal human knight who got a curse put on him, uh, and his body was crossed with that of a horse and a kitty cat. And so now he's got, he's about the size of a cat, but he's got big horse hooves and a human mustache and he can talk and he's kind of cursed to be in, in this weird body. <laughs> My initial depiction of sir toad that i kept for several drafts was that as a fusion of all those animals he kept all of the appendages of all three creatures and so he had uh he had his regular like cat legs and then a whole bunch of like horse hooves and then possibly human arms and legs like dangling from his undercarriage which <laughs> i thought was a hilarious image and everyone who read it said that's super disgusting. <laughs> and every person who read the book is like, you need to get rid of this. That is really, really weird and unsettling. And so eventually I, 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 uh, I gave in, but somewhere I have many, many drawings in, in my sketchbooks of a very bizarre, weird looking Sir Toad with too many legs. <laughs> oh man. I feel like somewhere like on Instagram or something you need to, you, in fact, <laughs> If you'd like to send us a couple of those, <laughs> then we can see share them online. I'll see if I can find some. All right. Speaking of animal legs, uh, Torin wants to know if you have any pets. I, you know what? Usually my, my pithy answer is always that I have a pet umbrella. Uh, but actually I do have pets. We have five chickens. Uh, so I guess those count as pets. 
Um, yeah, they count as pets. They count as pets. They give you food doesn't nah, mean they can't be a pet. I think they count as pets if you've named them. Oh, we, they, I mean, they don't live that long. So I've named some <laughs> of them, but at this point I've forgotten the names of this new crop. So I was just reading a book today about a guy who had a bunch of chickens and at first they would name them all, but then they started feeling like it felt a lot worse to say Carla got killed by the neighbor's dog <laughs> as opposed to just being like, yeah, we lost another chicken. <laughs> That's a hundred percent where we're at. The initial ones though, the initial one that I, I, the original, Original ones I named all had like names related to books. So one was named Pertility, which is Chanticleer, who's a famous yeah. mythological book rooster. Book of the Dun Cow. Did you read that book? Book of the Dun Cow, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which I which I adore. And I just learned recently there's sequels to that book. It's actually a yeah. trilogy. Yeah. Um, have you read those? Well, so the other ones? On, on a podcast that we do that a lot of these kids parents listen to, we just spent a month on the Book of the Dun Cow. So I just read That's it fantastic. this like. A month ago, <laughs> I adore that book, and I, I'm very keen to to read the other the other two books as well. Which I again, like last week, I was was kind of looking back because it relates to what I'm my new project. Um, but and we named one Louise, which is uh, uh, there's the Kate D. Camillo picture book yeah. that has the Adventures of the Chicken, um, yeah. Belina, which is the chicken that appears in the Wizard of Oz books. Uh, so originally they all had good names, but now again, hawks come. Yeah. Various things happen. So eventually we just stopped naming yeah, them. Yeah, so now it's just chicken A, B, C, D. Yeah. Yeah. Got yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so this is from Jude. And the question here comes in from his mom who writes, fellow Yinzer Jude wants to know, are you nimble? I am. So first of all, for those listening, uh, Yinzer <laughs> is a nickname for people who live in Pittsburgh, which is where I live. Um, it's because instead of saying y'all, People there say yins, um, and it's uh, it's a very weird word that I, I just adore. Um, and I am not nimble at all. I'm an extremely clumsy person. Um, so, sadly, I, this is part of the reason I, I live through my characters, because Peter Nimble is <laughs> yeah. literally everything that I am not. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, we've got two more questions for you, and then we're going to go to our word of the week. So, Graham, you do one, then I'll do one, then we'll do that. Yeah, so Jack wants to know, if you are planning to write another book in the Nimble universe. The Nimbleverse. The Nimbleverse. Uh, yeah, I actually am in the middle of that right now. So oh, I'm so writing yeah. a third Peter Nimble book. Um, it hasn't been easy, in part because each, with both Peter Nimble and Sophie, I was trying to write books that stood completely on their own. Um, could be read out of order. I'm trying to do that with this next book. Mm. Um, but I'm really, really excited. And then also for younger readers, I have a different series called The Fabled Stables, um, which actually takes place in the universe of Peter Nimble. Um, it's about a little kid named Augie who runs these place called The Fabled Stables, which is these kind of magical space full of all these one-of-a-kind creatures that he has to go out and rescue and bring back. And that actually takes place on Professor Cake's Island. Um, and a lot of the characters, it weirdly though, that whole series, even though it's for much younger readers is a, is sort of a prequel and it's deeply tied to both Peter Nimble, Sophie choir, and this third yet to be titled book that I'm in the middle of writing. Mm. So when's that coming out? Do you know? Oh, no, I don't. I'm a very These, slow writer. Unfortunately, the kids who are reading will all have their own kids. <laughs> they will get to read it to their own <laughs> grandchildren someday. <laughs> So, so what you're saying is you're not making any promises you're, or any news here on this podcast. I am. Not. I <laughs> the think news it, is, and it's not news to anyone who knows me, that the writing is going slowly. <laughs> I think he's saying it's going to be many, many, many generations of chickens. Right. From yes. <laughs> Nameless chickens. Okay. Last question before we get to our word of the week and, and let you go. 
Do you have any advice for kids who are listening, who want to be writers or who, you know, who are trying to be writers right now? Yeah, I do have a couple pieces of advice. Um, One is for what it's worth. I didn't start writing until I was about 20 years old. I was a reader and I loved drawing. I loved storytelling. And I even had in my mind when I was younger, this idea that I could become a writer. But I think in some ways, a kid who's creative and has this desire can internalize a lot of pressure to be really like excellent, be writing all the time when they're really young. And of course, there's nothing better to become a good writer than actually doing the writing. But like, also just kind of living and, and developing your soul as a human being and learning to have empathy for others and to foster a great imagination and develop healthy reading habits. Those will pay dividends later. So first of all, for those of you who kind of would like to be writers, but aren't feeling like you're doing it a lot. I hope you can give yourself a little bit of grace and cut yourself some slack because that's totally fine. Um, there's a million ways to tell stories. Uh, one of my friends is great writer. Adam Gidwitz always talks about the fact that like you're in the middle of playing basketball and you're like imagining that you're, you know, in the middle of a court and it's whatever the NBA and you're making some kind of buzzer beater, you know, three pointer shot and the crowd goes wild. And he's like, you know, that's what he did in middle school. And he's like, that's storytelling. Like that's, that's not different than what he does now. And that was practice and that was preparation. And so one thing I would say, I'm going to give two almost opposite pieces of advice. One is if, if the idea of writing is causing you pain, the desire to write is causing you pain and anxiety. I hope you can give yourself permission to let go of that. And just spend a lot of time in stories, telling stories in any way that interests you, finding stories wherever they are that interest you. Mm-hmm. You need to be reading a ton. Um, and, and the writing can often come later, and that's going to be just fine. Um, the other thing I'll say is the opposite of that, which is if you really are serious about writing and really want to do it, the most powerful words you will ever write in your entire life are the end. I was a kid, my mind went a million miles a second, and I had so many ideas just like spilling out of me. My nickname my mother gave me when I was a little boy was what if, because it was the beginning of every sentence I said to her. I baked it into the core of Sophie Choir because it's such a like a central tenet to how I operated. And so I was always throwing out these ideas. Um, and I had a bunch of things that I would start a little bit of, and then I would kind of lose enthusiasm and kind of step away from them. And if you are really serious about writing and, and, and doing this, the most powerful thing you can do is actually sticking with just one idea, not jumping to the next and the next, but stick with one idea all the way to the end. It doesn't have to be pretty. In fact, it won't be pretty, but getting all the way to the end of something is so powerful and invigorating and amazing because you get to look back and you can fix it later. Um, but I know as someone who abandoned stuff all the all the time that I didn't really start learning how to become a real writer until I would complete a draft and get all the way to the end of the story. So if you can push yourself to do that, one messy story that gets all the way to the end is worth a hundred really exciting beginnings that never end. Um, So, Hmm. Well, speaking of endings, we're at the end of this interview. So you can... So that means that we just have to do our word of the week and then you will be free to go write another beginning. <laughs> Jonathan, I tried to warn you. We have our word of the week printer yeah. that Graham is responsible for. It very often, and by very often, I mean always doesn't work. 
But every week we give Graham another chance to to earn his printer care stripes. So, Graham, yes, what did you do this week to make the printer work? All right, you're not going to believe this. Yeah, I, I've improved the printer. Okay, you know how you know how usually you have to send a command to the printer from your computer. Now, yeah, like with your mouse, you like click. Print. Yeah, on on yeah yeah. So now, um. I've enabled like a voice dictation. You can now talk to the printer. You enabled voice dictation. Uh Uh-huh. Given your history with printers and voice dictation, I'll believe it when I see it. All right. Tell it, say hi to it. Say hi to it. Hello, word printer. Hello, friends. All right. Now watch this. All right. Printer. Print the word of the week. Printing images of Reepicheep. Graham, that fine. No, that's not the one. No, not- we'll try it again. Watch it. Print the word of the week. Searching for facts on world's tallest peaks. Graham, that's strike two. Print, Print strikes, and you're gonna be well. You'll still be here, but <laughs> print the word of the week. Powering off for three and a half weeks. Graham. Done. You know what? Just, we need a minute. Okay, we'll be back in a minute with a word of the week. Okay, so we're back. We managed to get a word of the week that didn't involve voice. What did you call it? Dictation. Oh, voice dictation. Um, That, shockingly, didn't work either. But... Here's our word of the week. Jonathan Oxier, are you ready? I am ready. Okay. This week's word is borberigum. Borberigum. Could you spell that for me? I would love to do that. B-O-R-B-O-R-Y-G-M. Borberigum. All right, we are back with our definitions for this week's Word of the Week. As always, Graham will go first, then I will go, and then you as our special guest, Mr. Oxier, will get to go third, and then we will reveal the answer, the definition for this week's Word of the Week. So, Graham, what is a borborigum? A borborigum is also known as the Pittsburgh Delight. It's a local morning delicacy of a fried egg and melted cheese on top of an ego waffle. You know, having recently discovered the actual definition to this word, it kind of works. It kind of, actually, that's more of the sound I would make while I'm thinking of Of a uh, borborigum. Yeah, you know. (laughs) Okay, to each their own, right? Okay, I think that a a borborigum is a blister that rises on the palm of your hand from holding a magical wand too tightly while spellcasting. It's good. It's solid. It's different. strong. It's like weird. It's like we didn't. We weren't on the same page at all in any way mm-hmm. on that one. I'd have to gentlemen, gentlemen, it's Uh-oh. obvious that your definitions are fake. You know, every guest tells us this. <laughs> we don't need a word for those two things you described, but there are some phenomena in nature that we do need a word for. For example, if on occasion you are picking your nose and you get out a real sticky goober, and you don't really have a place to put it, 
So then between the forefinger and the thumb, you just start kind of slowly rolling it, <laughs> massaging it as it kind of slowly dries up until yep. it's this, this perfect little sticky ball. And yep. you can kind of, you can feel the, the, the fingers sticking together. And then eventually, suddenly it's just its own distinct little toy you've created from nature. And since the cave people, we've been making these to entertain ourselves and we needed a name for it. And that name was the Borborigum. Hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. I, I, um, I'm just, why I'm just in my head, in my mind's eye. I can see my children in real life right now. <laughs> yes. And hopefully people don't have like a box of Borborigum. Yeah. That's in true. their room under their bed. Like, you know? at what point you, do you have too many Borborigum? You, you flick okay, it no, away. It's useful. Again, an early primitive tool. If you need to hang a poster on a wall where you're not allowed to put nails in because you don't want to hurt the drywall, four of those suckers on each corner and you can yeah. hang up that poster. Like the this original is valuable commander. stuff. Yeah. So yeah. if you tell me your kid has a box of those, I'm like, that kid is prepared for anything. <laughs> okay. All right. It's kind of like MacGyver. Yes. For, in terms of like things that kids have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here is the actual definition for a borborigum. Jonathan, you know that rumbling that you sometimes get in your stomach? Mm-hmm. That's what that is. What, when you're hungry? When you're hungry. Yeah, the, the rumbling that gets in your stomach when you're hungry. A borborigum. Well, so, sorry, sorry. Is that the name of the phenomenon or is that the name of the creature inside your stomach that's making the sound? You know, sometimes mm. creatures and phenomenons are indecipherable. <laughs> the, little, the belly beast. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that, that is, apparently this word is actually in the, defin, the, the dictionary and that's actually what it means. So, wow. You know, Greg was kind of. <laughs> yeah. I, when, when you're jonesing for an ego first thing in the yeah, morning. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? I have to say, every single book I write, I include one extremely obscure word, often words that are no longer in modern dictionaries. Yeah. And this feels like one that would be really easy to just slide in there. I, I in fact, we weren't going to like, say that we hoped you would include yeah. it but like i like you, know, the, you can infer what you want i like the idea of a character like not knowing if the borborigum is because he's hungry or nervous you know like true true excellent one thing we do at the end of every interview we say every interview we forget half the time yeah, um we plan to every time is we would like you to challenge an author friend um, or illustrator friend, someone who you think should have to come on to our show and suffer, you know, the gauntlet of questions. Yeah. Does this, any, the slings and arrows of Withy Wendell. Do you have anybody that kind of pops into your brain? You know what? I would love more than anything to challenge my old friend, Amy Ignatow. She is okay. one of the funniest people I've ever talked to or met or seen present in my life. I don't get to see enough of her. All I get to do these days is just see some tweets, she says, which are all really funny. <laughs> but I think she would be a fantastic writer and author for you to all talk with. Uh, she's one of, again, I think one of the funniest people working in kids' books right now. She wrote The Mighty Odds. She wrote The Popularity Papers. She's written a bunch of Jedi Academy books. Um, she's a fantastic person, and I think you would have a fantastic time with Amy Ignatow. Amy Ignatow. So, Amy Ignatow. Yeah, Consider yourself challenged. Consider yourself challenged. It's like the, the most extreme challenge you'll ever face. <laughs> I think it sounds like she'll be up for it. I, yeah, given what, given that description. Mm-hmm. That's one of the most glowing, like, 
reviews that person <laughs> make during a challenge. Usually they make they challenge people who they don't like, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jonathan Oxier, thank you so much for coming on and, and goofing around with us for a while and talking and you know, answering some kids' questions. And most of all, thank you for your stories. Thank you for your books. Um, we're excited to to keep reading them over and over again and to eventually read this next book to our great great grandchildren. All right. Thank you so much for having me join the fun. See, we said at the beginning this, that that interview with Jonathan Oxier was a good time, and, and we, we, were right. we said it was a ten. So yeah, it was it was great. We're really grateful to Jonathan Oxier, of course, for coming on and also for his books. So thanks to him, and we hope you enjoyed that. But that brings us to Riddle Time. Riddle Time. So last week's riddle, which I told, good one, is about. Two men, a father and son. That's about fire. That's right. They're hunting and a storm comes and they end up in a cabin. And in that cabin, there is... A monster? A, well, I don't know. It's I don't still remember. dark. It was a old. kerosene lamp, a candle, and a fireplace. Yeah. And the question for this riddle is what did they light first? In order to be able to see if there was a monster in the house. That is the question. That is what and did what they is, light first? What is the answer? A match. Aha. Uh-huh. What a tricky riddle. <laughs> what it's just the nature of riddles, Graham. Riddle. It's the nature of riddles. It's not for quite what you think. And you got to read between the lines. I knew that was the answer. You know how I knew that was the answer? Because I told you? Nope. Because of all the emails that I got, that we got, at podcasts mm-hmm. at goldberrybooks.com. Nice. That had the correct answer. A lot of people figured out your tricky riddle. <laughs> <laughs> so then that led you to figure it and out. And gave, gave, gave the match answer. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, that brings us to this week's riddle, which it's your week yeah. to share. It's your turn to share. Yeah. You want to hear about Penelope? <laughs> <laughs> so Penelope, um, you know, she's, she's 17. Yeah, okay. 17-year-old Penelope. Uh, 17-year-old Penelope. She decides, um, she leaves her house one day. She wanders, she wants to go down, you know, wander around the woods, as one does. Pick it, looking for uh, uh, mushrooms. Okay. 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 She she gets her basket full of mushrooms. She's going to make a, um, she she likes to make. Mushroom soup. I was thinking more like a a souffle. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) An omelet. (laughs) Okay. Um, so she brings him back into her house. She opens the door. Mm-hmm. You know what she sees inside? Uh, a firing pan? The uh, calm of her life has been interrupted. Oh, dear. Because she, she, children. she left the back door open. Oh, no. As she walks into her bedroom, on her bed. Okay. You're not ready for this. I, I, I'm... Stealing myself. Three dogs. Three dogs? Two squirrels. Squirrels? A giraffe? So we're up to eight animals. A giraffe? Okay. A giraffe. I, I heard the first three times you said it. Okay, you're not giving me the response. No, you're a giraffe. No, I'm like, I'm in, you're in I'm, shock. I'm okay. in shock, yeah. Three pigeons. Okay, so I think we're up to like 12 animals now. Well, the pigeons are actually not on the bed. They're flying above the bed. They're flying around it. Okay. Okay. How many legs... Are on the floor. I mean, the legs are on the floor. Okay. Yeah. 
She's like a bunch of animals. Yeah, she walks into her bedroom. She she's sees got a thing three of mushrooms dogs. in her arms, maybe. Maybe she left those in the kitchen. Probably so. So she's she's got three dogs on her bed, two squirrels, a giraffe, and there's pigeons flying above it. So how many legs are on her floor? That's a good one. It's a good one. Well, I'm going to need a while to think about it, which is good because we have until next week. Yeah. So if you think you know the answer to this or you spend some time thinking about it, and then you come up with the answer to this, or at least what you think is the answer, you can email us... Mm-hmm. to the email that Graham just said. Which, Graham, could you do that one more time? Yep. David the Pumpkinhead. Hey. Goldberrybooks.com. It's Halloween's over now. You can't do Halloween-themed insults anymore. That was an insult. Pumpkinheads are cool. It's a compliment? I don't know. Uh, I feel like a compliment. Podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. You can also still try to send us a carrion pigeon. None have arrived yet this season. We got some last season, though. Takes a while. Takes a while. Uh, but, you know, whatever your preferred method of, of answering is, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. But now I'm wondering if we shouldn't create an email called Graham the Pumpkin Face at goldberrybooks.com. No, I'm Graham the Gingerbread Man. <laughs> I was just imagining someone with a pumpkin face. Pumpkin face. That sounds like an insult. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Well, you know what? That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to everybody who has been listening. Uh, we, of course, would love it if you would tell all your friends and uh, leave reviews with whichever podcast app you're using, assuming it lets you do such things. And uh, be sure to head over to greenwriter.sdsmith.com to learn more about, well, you know, the Green Writer and how it can help you become a better writer. Graham, do you have anything you'd like to add before we say farewell for this week? Uh, no, I think after this, I'm just going to drink some more water, um, stop eating crystals. That seems important. And uh, should put on ice. Should we just, just, should we just chop it off? Chop the, chop the podcast? Like, oh, end the foot. podcast? Oh, chop the foot off? Yeah. Um, let's not go there yet. Well, Maybe. next week, we'll, we'll find out if he felt like Graham still... <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll find out if Graham still has a foot next week. With that, for Graham Pittman, I'm David Kern. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.